Hello there, and welcome to Not The Farmer's Wife podcast. I'm CJ Steedman, and I'm definitely not the farmer's wife. I am a mum, a partner, a full-time off-farm worker, and enthusiastically a lady farmer. On our farm, Mojo Homestead, we grow chickens, goats, cows, and bees. We practice regenerative agriculture and holistic management. If, like me, you love all things farming and homesteading, and if you'd like to learn from the female farmer's perspective, then I'd love to have you along for the ride. So let's get farming. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Not the Farmer's Wife. Uh, I'm so glad that you're here this week. I uh, had all these plans. I've got all these plans where I'm going to talk about certain things in certain weeks, and then something happens, and I go off on a tangent, and I end up going, no, 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 I'm going to talk about something else. So for all my lovely listeners out there, I am going to talk this week about raw milk or uh, unpasteurized milk for some people. <clears throat> now, uh, the reason that I'm doing that is because this week we started milking in earnest. So um, I have two milking goats, Anglo-Nubian goats, and they are milk producing goats and they both kitted last week. So Hazel is uh, five years old and this is her third year kidding, fourth year kidding, I can't remember. <laughs> And um, Lucy, who is her um, her kid, her doe, um, from two years ago, it's her first year kidding. So this is her first year being a milking goat. And we joke about it, that it's a little job that girls have to do on the farm, that they become milking goats. So we started in full swing um, a couple of days ago, and I'm already inundated with milk. Now, I hand milk my milking goats. Um, they stand up on a bale uh, that we built out of an old coffee table. Um, you can go to my um, YouTube or um, YouTube, TikTok or Instagram or Facebook pages and you'll see a video of the um, milking bale that the handy helper built me out of an old coffee table that I picked up from a secondhand shop. And I literally sit outside, rain, hail or shine. I do need to put a shelter over it. And milk the goats outside and I milk by hand I don't use a machine and part of that is because I'm too lazy to clean the machines out I've seen the work that goes into keeping those machines clean and honestly it's easier for me to dip my hands in nice hot water with some soap uh, and wash my hands that way so I hand milk and oh my god every year I forget I forget just how much I my uh, grip strength in my hands uh, I lose the ability to have that great grip strength and then I start milking and I'm like holy fuck my hands are killing me and by the end of probably the first two weeks I'm back to yeah this is easy I can milk like 10 goats a morning which I wouldn't recommend I think two to three goats is probably my limit um, and after that when we when the herd sizes get bigger than that I may have to look at getting a machine but if I was washing a machine out for three or four goats then that would be a bit different to washing a machine out for just one or two anyway so milking season is back in full swing and as I get inundated with milk my next go-to is to make cheese or yogurt um, which is exactly what will happen this year when we get too much milk going uh, I'm so excited for next year I literally can't wait because next year I will have Millie our milking cow and I will have uh, at this stage possibly five goats for milking so that's going to be interesting to see how I cope with that 
Uh, not sure I'll be working full time and doing that at the same time. But anyway, so because I've started milking, uh, people that I know in my circle who haven't known me very long or don't know the details of the farm have suddenly started to ask questions about, but what do you do with the milk? You don't drink it like it's unpasteurized. And I've had to explain to them that I have been drinking unpasteurized milk for a very big chunk of my life. Um, I grew up drinking unpasteurized milk in as a kid. Um, my parents, for those that don't know, were slightly alternative lifestylers. And we ended up out on 400 acres in the Hunter Valley. Uh, and we produced 90% of our own food. So milking the cow was right on top of that list. And we had a big Frisian called Gypsy, who I used to go up and hand milk every morning. And I'd get about nine litres of cow's milk. And uh, that nine litres of cow's milk would get separated uh, every second day, roughly, or third day. And we would take the cream off it and turn it into butter or just drink it, use it as cream. And uh, any skim milk product out of that would go to our chickens or to our pigs for feeding. Now, I've seen um, other places do that as well. Um, Dadadu Anglo-Nubians, who uh, were the lovely suppliers of our current buck, Rocky, um, who came down from Rockhampton. Uh, Dadadu Anglo-Nubians, they feed uh, goat's milk to their pigs and the pig meat is award-winning meat at the local butchers. So it, there's something in feeding pigs milk. They, they definitely thrive on it and it makes for a, a much nicer uh, end product. So <clears throat> that's my experience drinking raw milk. I grew up drinking it. I The last four years we have um, each... Um, milking season so from about September through to I usually dry them up about um, May when it's starting to get too cold and dark to milk of the morning um, each year we have an oversupply of milk from our milking goats um, and we drink raw goat's milk and my kids both drink raw goat's milk the handy helper does um, I do I make cheese out of it we also make soap so we we do lots of things with it and I have never kind of sat down and gone holy shit, I'm feeding my kids raw milk. Oh, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe there's something in it. Maybe maybe that would be detrimental to their health. I've never, ever thought that. But I get asked it so often. So I thought, let's talk it through and work out what the big deal is about raw goat's milk or raw milk in general. So um, for homesteaders, having a milking cow or milking goat and milking sheep as well, because I, I know there's a lady down on the south coast in New South Wales who has... Um, East Frisian sheep which are milking sheep and she makes cheese from it um, so having those kind of animals is part and parcel with living on a homestead kind of lifestyle it's a huge component of food and and that component of food comes from you know hundreds of years ago when a farmer would milk their cow or milk their goats and from that they would have milk obviously the straight milk product but they would also skim the cream off and have cream and skim the cream off and churn it into butter and also make yogurt and then make hard cheeses and soft cheeses but hard cheeses which meant that in times of no milking so maybe through the winter months when when goats or cows were you know just about getting ready to, to kid or calve again and you dried them up so that they could have that little break before they start milking again um, you would have your hard cheeses so that you were still getting your dairy component in your diet. So having a cow or a goat um, and being able to milk them and use that milk 
to make all these foodstuffs that would sometimes store for months and months on the end because cheese hard cheese can be kept in a in a you know cool dark environment without any problems um that was just a normal part of life and that was something that i considered to be part of our traditional diet now if you lived in certain cultures where they probably never drank milk or ate cheese i mean i can't think of inuit um canadian native canadians i can't imagine them ever having a milk producing mammal that they would milk but in mongolia and china uh definitely they milked um i think well i've tried yak butter tea over in over in china so i know what that tastes like um, and that's made from milk of a yak Um, but horses were another one that were milked camels have been milked for hundreds of years and there's a i know there's a camel producer a milk camel producer here in australia that does it Um, so there's lots of lots of um, historical cultures that used a milk from a mammal source and they used it not just for that straight milk product but also for yogurts and cheeses and things like that Uh, kefir is another one um, which is a quite tangy uh, I I call it slightly off milk uh, but clearly it's not off as in bad because people drink it and it's actually quite beneficial to their health lots of probiotics and things like that in it so I am a big proponent of it that having been said I actually thought for years I was lactose intolerant um, and it wasn't until I did my ultimate exclusion diet of just eating carnivore and reintroduced things back in that I realized that it's not milk that causes me the grief. Um, it is absolutely 100% grains that cause me the grief. So milk, you're not the enemy for me. Um, that being said, I find that I do react and so does my son, OJ. Uh, we both react to UHT milk, so long life milk. Um, that we have used because we live out of town we do sometimes buy long life milk so that we have milk here during the winter months when we're not milking Um, both OJ and I react horribly to UHT milk so I don't know what they do what the process is that they do that's different for you for long life milk for that really ultra pasteurized milk but it does not agree with either of us Um, and that's only come from trial and error that we've worked that out otherwise I would have had no idea So traditionally, most families or family groups would have had some kind of milking animal and shared the responsibility of milking, churning butter, making cheese, that kind of thing. Then we move into like around the 1800s in most of westernized civilization. So in England, in in America, where um, the um, urbanization spread became more well I shouldn't say urbanization spread so people moved off farms and moved urban and when they went urban they still wanted to have that same lifestyle that they'd had when they lived out in farmland areas so they brought the cows and goats with them into town and the problem was was of course these cows and goats didn't have endless fields of fresh pasture to eat from they didn't have grass everywhere so they ended up having a milk problem and that was around the mid-1800s. They had a massive milk problem where there was too many people wanting milk and not enough cows to supply it. So they ended up having um, dairies that were situated at the back of breweries. Sounds ideal for most people. Like, what, beer-flavoured milk? I don't know. Um, but the, the cows were being fed off the brewery waste. Now, the brewery process was actually stripping most of the nutrients out of the food, out of the grains that were being made to, to make, you know, the beer, the whiskey, things like that. And so the cows were getting fed a pretty crappy diet. 
And they also lived in pretty crappy conditions. They didn't have the same structures in place for dairies that we have these days, where dairies are, are very clean and very well maintained, and they're very much, they're very regulated in how they can run. Uh, but back then they didn't have that. So we went from having these beautiful, healthy, you know, one-up cow, two cows, maybe three or four goats in a pasture, being looked after directly hands-on by a farmer who was monitoring their health and making sure that they were everything was spot on, to going into these bulk kind of dairies that were unregulated, unmonitored, and they were just literally just feeding the cows whatever they could in order to get milk to produce milk to give to people. And of course, with that kind of compacted version, um, hygiene went out the window. And and it really bugs me that people do have that assumption about raw milk, because to me, it's it's not the milk that's the issue. It's not the raw milk. It's the hygiene that went with it that caused the problems. And it sounds terrible. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, maybe if they just wash their fucking hands. <laughs> I, that's how I feel about it. If they just maintain the hygiene that a, that a single farmer would have main, been maintaining anyway with his own cow or her own cow because sometimes it was the, the lady of the house milking. But if they just maintained that hygiene, we wouldn't have probably come across the problems that we had. But that can be said for lots of other food groups too. So what happened was we ended up with a lot of people getting sick from drinking the milk. Now, some of the horror stories when I had a quick look to see exactly what went wrong with the milk issue back in the mid 1800s um, was that a people didn't wash their hands when they were milking so you might have had 30 cows being milked by two people in the morning and they weren't washing their hands and they weren't washing their hands between cows I wash my hands between my goats so that means that if anything is on one goat it's not going to be transferred to the other goat but obviously that wasn't happening so diseases were getting passed from cow to cow because they're all in that confined feedlot situation but also, too, I, re I was reading horror stories. Like some guy was saying that um, people used to, because their hands would be cold first thing in the morning, they'd milk a bit and then stick their hands in the in the hot milk to try and warm their hands up. But he said it went one worse than that. He said there's stories of people putting their feet into the milk buckets to warm their feet up off the warm milk. And then that's milk that's going to be passed on to a consumer to drink or consume and make other products out of. So any wonder we ended up with a hygiene issue. Um, obviously, dairies these days don't have that hygiene issue, but they also got around the problem. And they got around the problem by saying, right, not only are we going to certify dairies, but we're going to pasteurise milk. Now, pasteurization is just simply a heating of milk. It heats the milk to a point where any bacteria in that milk is destroyed. Of course, the problem is, is that anything in that milk is destroyed by that heating process. And that includes the good bacteria and the good nutrients that's in the milk. Now, people who are big fans of pasteurization will say, no, no, that's not true. Milk has still got vitamins in, it's still got minerals in it, all that kind of thing. It does. It absolutely does. And drinking pasteurized milk like we do in Australia here, um, it doesn't cause you any problems. It still has some really good health benefits to it. However, you cannot convince me on the studies that I've read that raw milk is less nutrient than pasteurized milk. Pasteurized milk is 100 times less nutrient than raw milk. And people that are very into, in tune with their diet will comment that they react differently to raw milk 
and and I've got to be honest, my experience is exactly the same. It may not be the same for everybody, but certainly OJ and I, when we eat, when we drink pasteurized milk, we do have a little bit of a reaction. We get a bit of an eczema reaction. When we have raw milk, we never get it. Like he's at the moment, he's suffering really bad with his eczema because we're coming into spring here in Canberra. Uh, but yeah, we're just about to start really pumping the raw milk into him. And I know damn well that the eczema will start to die off again. Um, it just, whatever the enzymes are in there that, that trigger it, it's for him, it just nails it. Anyway, so what they did to get around the issue of kids getting sick and people getting sick from unhygienic milk practices was to pasteurize the milk. So as frustrating, frustrating as it sounds, because to me it's like, just teach the little turds to wash their hands. Um, rather than try to make everybody come up to a hygiene standard, they simply lowered the bar. And what they said was all the milk from all the cows will get pasteurized. And then we know that it doesn't have bacteria. And that way we can give it to people, sell it to people. And we know that the milk that they're consuming is not going to make them sick. It was the simplest solution because humans won't listen <laughs> that's how I feel I feel like if they just done the right thing in the first place it wouldn't be an issue but when you've got you know and particularly with the bigger dairies now when you've got a hundred cows being milked you can't necessarily check every single cow so pasteurization on a greater scheme of things um, is definitely the way to go to ensure food safety but for people that want to have more control over their food sources um, so homesteaders, um, absolutely, raw milk is, there's no reason why you would not drink raw milk. There is no reason why you would pasteurize your milk that you milk from your animal on your own property because you are in control of your hygiene. And if you make sure that all of your hygiene is up to standard, you're never going to have a problem with it. So um, that was that's what they started doing mid-1800s. By about 1893, some people actually worked out that hey, if we're actually hygienic about collecting our raw milk, it's fine. So raw milk went through that real phase in the mid-1800s of being the demon, you know, food that it was. And then by the late 1800s, you know, people were back to drinking raw milk. But pasteurization was occurring when it was done, when cows were being milked in larger dairy groups. So the pasteurization was there to cover off on the fact that if you were selling you know, vast amounts of milk to people, that was the easiest way to ensure no, no nasties in there. Now, uh, raw milk, to me, raw milk is better for you than pasteurized milk. But why, why, was, why was raw milk causing grief? So we've said that the pasteurization kills the bacteria the bacteria that we're talking about is predominantly e coli listeria uh, there's also brucella and salmonella and campylobacter which i don't know a lot about some of these i know the e coli and the listeria ones but uh cryptosporidium is another one that that are bacteria that can be really prevalent in raw milk and they're generally prevalent like i say because of hygiene practices but you can get your cow or goat tested from the vet to ensure that it doesn't have any of those bacteria in its udder. Um, certainly, you know, it's the same kind of system as testing them for mastitis and things like that. If there's, if there's some kind of bacteria in the udder, you need to treat it. 
But if your cow or goat is producing healthy milk that doesn't have any problems with it, their their udder seems fine, then you're pretty much right. You can buy testing kits for the mastitis, and I'm pretty sure you can also buy testing kits for uh, listeria, which is the main one for listeria and E. coli, the two main ones for, for cows. So what other foods, though, cause that kind of bacteria? Because, I mean, it's no good demonizing milk and going, well, milk causes us to die and we get sick from it and all this kind of thing. I know that um, one of the issues I have here on the farm with my pasture-raised eggs is that I don't wash my eggs. Now, I'm a small producer and I don't sell uh, mainstream. Um, I, I'm an in-house seller, so to speak. So uh, my eggs don't get washed, but they come with a with a, the attachment of I don't wash my eggs. And the reason I don't wash my eggs is because it reduces the shelf life. What I recommend to people, and this is what I say to all of my customers, is wash the egg right before you use it. And the reason that I say that is because in most cases, um, I think it's salmonella for eggs, is on the outside of the shell. So if it's in the bird, and my birds are pretty damn healthy, I've got to say, living out their best chicky lives out in the paddock. But if it's in the bird, it will come out on the egg, on the outside of the egg. Now, in some cases, when it's a really bad bacterial infection, it can be on the inside of the egg as well. Touch wood, nobody's ever got sick from our eggs. Um, but, you know, if I had to get tested for it, if I was starting to sell like on, a, on an actual you know, commercial scale, then obviously I would go and have all the testing done because nobody wants to be the person selling shitty food. Um, it'd be like working at the local takeaway and not washing your hands and going, well, you know, I don't really care if people get sick, they get sick. Well, no, you, you do the right thing because you don't want your customers to get sick from it. But the foods that cause the most food poisoning are, ready for it, undercooked chicken meat and raw green leafy vegetables. Go figure. Evidently, raw green leafy vegetables are just about the worst. And that's why they say to you, wash your lettuce and you've got your lettuce spinners and things like that. Because if there's going to be bacteria on it, it's going to be on the outside of the, the lettuce or outside of the green leafy um, matter that you buy. So the other thing to keep in mind is that rice, fruit and green sprouts also are very high up there on that list of foods that can contain bacteria that can make you sick and give you food poisoning. It's interesting that milk still gets demonized, even though all these other foods oh, and raw fish, fish products also can be can go bad very, very quickly. Uh, but yeah, they're the ones that are top of the list, the green leafies and um, and undercooked chicken. Yet milk, raw milk seems to get the most stick over it anyway. So why do we drink raw milk? What, why do you think you know, raw milk is, is good for you? And the main factor that you have to take into account is that when milk undergoes that pasteurization process, it gets super heated, super, super heated, and then cooled down. Now, that super heating kills bacteria, but it also, unfortunately, like anybody that's done a bit of a raw food diet or anything will know, is that heating food does destroy aspects of the food that are nutrient that are good for you and in raw milk there's a few things that it really kind of nails uh, enzymes and those enzymes are things like lactase which is the um, enzyme that helps lactose digestion and lipase which supports fat absorption in your stomach so two enzymes that you need in your stomach for good gut health 
are destroyed in that pasteurization process. And I put it down, the lactase being destroyed, that's what I put down to me and OJ both reacting a little bit different to pasteurized milk um, compared to raw milk. And like I say, we don't react really, really badly now, but we certainly, certain milks really trigger us. Uh, probiotics are knocked out when um, when their milk is pasteurized. And you know most people understand that probiotics are an important part of our diet and a, an important part of our gut microbiome. We need to have probiotics in our system in order to help us uh, digest our food and manage our gut health. Uh, nutrient retention. So uh, what I talked about, we milk pasteurized milk does still have nutrients in it. It absolutely still does. However, when they've tested raw milk against uh, pasteurized cow's milk, the uh, levels and uh, vitamins and minerals that are in the pasteurized milk are a lot lower than what's in the raw milk. Now, that could come down to an individual animal, uh, but I think they've done it over a fairly large scale. I, I certainly, I'll include it in the show notes. I've got a little chart of where they've tested different things against you know, pasteurized versus raw milks. And they've also included my favorite, the nut juices as well, because I can't call them milk. If it doesn't come from a mammal, it's not milk, it's nut juice. So they've also included the nut juice as a comparison to raw milk versus pasteurized milk and then the nut juices. Um, and the one that I really believe is the improved digestibility. So raw milk um, is easier to digest. And certainly that is my personal experience and what I've seen with my son, that is definitely his experience is that both of us are way more able to digest raw milk than we are to digest pasteurized milk. So there's something in there that gets knocked out in that heating process that really we obviously need in our diet. Now, people that are for pasteurization will absolutely tell you that none of that is true. As an adult in a democratic country, my suggestion to you is to go and do your own research. I think it's important that we understand more about our food. Um, I think we've let we've kind of handed over the reins to to uh, certain bodies, uh, not necessarily even government bodies, but we've certainly handed the reins of our food knowledge over to bodies that. Sometimes they don't have our best interest in heart. Sometimes what it comes down to is the bottom dollar. And if it's suiting them financially to give us certain information and, and you know, go back and have a look at my plant-based diet um, uh, podcast that I did a couple of uh, months ago. Um, certainly, you know, sanitarium, it was in their best interests <laughs> to try and get us to eat vegetarian. <laughs> there's, there's, you know, financially, it's a huge bonus to them. And I believe that certain bodies within um, the Western world, it was in their best interest to not have us drinking raw milk and not being able to control our own milk supply in our backyard. And to do that, they did a real scare tactic and it worked. It's worked massively because so many people say to me, oh, but you can't drink raw milk. You know, it'll, it's not safe. You'll, your kids will get sick. So I... I, bet, I just ask you all to do your own research. You don't have to believe me. Just go out there and do your own research if you're on the fence as to whether or not raw milk versus pasteurized milk is better for your family. Um, I think we're all adults and we can make our own decisions. Anyway, legislation. That goes into my next little point here that I've got. Uh, legislation from different countries. So it's important to note that in Australia, it is illegal to sell raw cow's milk. 
you cannot purchase raw cow's milk. You can purchase raw milk for the purposes of cosmetics. So for bath milk, they call it. I think it's called Cleopatra's milk. Um, it's a bath milk that they sell, but they treat it with a colored dye to prevent you drinking it. Um, goat's milk, surprisingly, it is legal to produce and consume raw goat's milk in Queensland, New South Wales, South Australia and Western Australia here in Australia. So the other states, no, you can't, can't do raw goat's milk either. But in no state in Australia can you sell raw cow's milk. It is completely banned. Now, the really important thing about that is, is that the only countries in the world that have that kind of ban are Australia, Scotland and Canada. It just blows my mind that three countries out of the whole world have an issue with it, even though I'll rattle off the countries in uh, in Europe where raw cow's milk is not only readily available, but it's sold in the supermarket, no problems. And that will be France, Germany, Denmark, Italy, the Netherlands, the Czech Republic, Austria, Slovakia, Slovakia sorry if I pronounced that wrong, Lithuania, Ireland and the UK. Now think about that, the UK, which borders Scotland, you can legally buy raw cow's milk, but you go just across the border, and I've been to the UK and to, to, to England and to Scotland, and it's literally a step across the border, and suddenly you can't buy raw cow's milk. Fucking does my head in. Um, Canada, you can't buy it, but in more than half of the United States, individual states, uh, you can buy raw cow's milk from either licensed people or from farm to gate. So people, farmers that are selling direct to consumer. Yet you can't buy it in Canada. Now, in both Scotland and in Canada, people that live close to the border areas who want to consume raw milk can absolutely just buy it and take it across the border. Um, there's no stopping that process. It's just that it's illegal to do it. it when you step across the border, you can't sell it. So you have to ask yourself, why are all these countries not having a problem with selling raw milk? And why are Australia, Scotland and Canada still having an issue? And I can't work it out. I have to be honest, I cannot work it out. So there are some places in Canada that have started doing um, like a cow share where you own part of the cow and then that allows you to, you know, consume the milk of the cow that you own, but you can't sell it still. Now, in certain countries, uh, sorry, in the Netherlands, so as part of that European group, something like 280 farmers make a particular type of farmer's cheese that can only be made from raw milk. And I'm going to screw up the name. Apologies to anybody listening from the Netherlands. I only speak English and it's apparent, it's abundantly obvious that I only speak English. Uh, Boren Cass is what I think it's called, the cheese, and they make that purely from raw uh, milk. Now, in places in Germany and France and things like that, they, they obviously they have phenomenal cheeses. Anybody that's tasted French cheese would agree that their cheeses are amazing. And um, a good chunk of those are made with raw milk um, that hasn't been pasteurized because it would destroy the um, not only the enzymes that are in it that are very important to that cheese making process, but also the taste, the taste of raw cheese, raw raw milk made cheese versus normal 
cheese that we get here in Australia, the taste is incomparable. Now, I know that when I was doing my little research for this episode, uh, there is a guy down in Tasmania who has managed to um, uh, fight the government on the issue of being able to use raw milk for his cheese making, and he won, which is amazing. So he has started making cheese with raw milk. Hats off to him. I can't wait. I want to now go to Tassie and try it um, because I'm sure it'll taste absolutely amazing. Um, but it does beg the question, why are, why are these three countries the only ones that are really having an issue with it when all these other countries are allowing it? And yeah, it does my head in. Anyway, at the end of the show notes, at the, the, the bottom of the show notes, I will put a link in. There are some places that you can go, particularly there's one link that I've got in there that you can go in there and you can see anywhere near you that does sell raw milk. So obviously for us in Australia, that's nigh on impossible because you won't get cow's milk anywhere. But there is a couple of places that sell raw goat's milk and they are linked onto this. Um, it's like a map where you can just go and see who's close to you. Uh, but if you live in another country outside of Australia, go look at the map, find the nearest person to you that is selling raw milk and go get yourself a litre and try it. It can't hurt to try it. It's a little bit more expensive, but... That breaks into my next little topic, which is the financial realities uh, regarding small farms and this type of thing. So obviously there'd be a lot of small farms that would absolutely love to sell raw milk direct to consumer. And I know that that happens in the States. There are a lot of small farms that are selling raw milk direct to their consumers and their customers that they may have, you know, for pastured eggs or for for um, free range meat birds or, you know, they might sell them half a pig or a lamb or a cow or they might just sell them vegetables, honey, flowers, whatever. And they're also doing that side project of selling extra raw milk that they have at the time but the realities for most small farms are that costs are always an issue um, we as a small farmer ourselves uh, both the handy helper and I work off farm because we can't afford to run the farm full-time we don't have the funds to um, just go all in with the farm at the moment which we're trying to build up to but even if we did one of us would have to work off farm because farming does not pay and it doesn't pay because I hate to say it consumers don't like paying extra for premium quality food products they'll buy premium quality clothing but they don't want to buy premium quality food and raw milk um, you know could be very cheap without the legislation issues However, in order to legislate and um, monitor the, how the raw milk is being done, um, there are added costs for small farms to do that. They need to be compliance, they need to have certain regulations in place, and they need to be able to be checked for, with different agricultural bodies. Now, this adds the cost. So in most people's cases, they're not going to go out of their way to sell raw milk if it's going to add to the costs they already have to run their farm. Um, especially not when you would have people balking over you know, $5 a litre, which I think the goat's milk that I found here in Australia that sells commercially available is $11 a litre. And I think that's pretty fair given how hard it is to, to produce a litre of goat's milk. I think that's actually pretty fair. Uh, and that's why goat's milk soap and cheese can be quite expensive because you are dealing with a smaller amount of milk that you're getting. Every drop is vital. So, yeah. But also, too, small farms need to look at their operating costs, which uh, when you're only buying small amounts or you're not using them on a daily basis, then anything that you purchase for the farm 
you really have to weigh out whether it's worth the purchase. So things like milking machines, which I don't use, I hand milk because I can't really justify the outlay of a milking machine. But also the tanks that you would need to store your milk in. Uh, sending it off for pasteurisation. Pasteurisation is cheaper for the larger dairies than what it is for the small dairies. It, the cost is astronomical if you're only sending off you know, 50 litres to get pasteurised. The, the price is insane. Um, market access and competition is another one because for dairies, and, and this has been, I think, the issue for dairies for a long time, is that you are dealing with these massive corporations. And with the massive corporations comes the ability to scale. And when they scale, they are able to produce a litre of milk for a lot less than what I can produce a litre of milk for. That being said, I don't think dairy farmers get paid anywhere in there enough to produce a litre of good quality milk. So I think at one point there in Australia, they were getting like seven to 10 cents a litre, which I think it's gone up now, but seven to 10 cents a litre. Yeah, okay, they might be producing 100,000 litres, but... They're managing all these animals. They're managing all the pasture. They're managing all the hygiene. They're managing all the equipment machinery. It, it doesn't seem like a lot. <laughs> it seems like very little to me for all that extra work, just so that somebody can have creamy white milk. Um, so, and then the, of course the regular regulatory and compliance burdens, which you know, I spoke about. It's hard for a small farm to comply with all the regulations um, in order to do what they have to do. And so I'm sure that there are farmers out there, even though it is completely illegal and, um, you know, I, I know I've been approached, I'm sure there are farmers out there who do sell their raw milk to regular customers who they have for other things like for eggs and things like that. I'm sure that they are doing it without having that compliance check in place. Now, that's sad that if they've been pushed into that corner because it's just too hard and too expensive to get the compliance in place, that's really sad, but... Also, part of me kind of stands back and goes, well, you know, good on them. Like, if they know that their milk is, is clean, if they know that their hygiene is spot on, and if they have a customer that's prepared to take the risk of, I'm drinking raw milk and I know that it comes, you know, like all foods, it comes with the, you know, risk of, can I ever get sick from it? Um I, I don't blame them. I feel bad. I, I wish I could say, no, we should all be compliant. But at the end of the day... Um, if compliance is such a pain in the ass to get around, then you can't blame people for going the, the quicker, nastier, illegal route. Anyway, so economic-wise, it's just not economically viable for most small farms to look at pasteurisation. And that's why dairies are so expensive to set up. And it's also why dairies have struggled so much over the last couple of years. Um, those those bigger, you know, massive corporations with everything mechanic and and that being said i follow the iowa dairy farmer over in the uk and the us and he is awesome and he's completely mechanicalized but at the end of the day he's producing shit tins of milk for people that don't care if it's if it's pasteurized or not pasteurized they just want milk to their supermarket that they can go and pick up a gallon bottle of milk and and take it home so there is a place for those big dairies, but there's also a place for the little small farms and they just aren't getting a break, I don't think, at the moment. So I've got some little um, tidbits for you here. The average age of an Australian farmer has been estimated at 57. So woo -woo, I'm young for my farming you know, career. Um, and that 
the the increase in the last couple of years in producer in sorry in demand for raw milk they have put down to millennials and ex-vegans who now understand the consumer demand for raw dairy milk go you ex-vegans i love you um anyway so i had some old stats because i couldn't find any new stats but queensland in two uh since 2000 since the year 2000 uh up until 2019 so over a 19 year period dairy queensland dairy has lost 75 percent of its dairy farms it's taken the number from 1500 down to 360 farms in 2019 that's probably less still now yeah three four years on um and one in 10 dairy farms in Victoria closed in the last year up until May 2019. So Victoria, for those that live overseas, Victoria is one of our states here in Australia that has these beautiful, vast areas of grassland, um, particularly in the Gippsland region. The grassland is just, I drive through there, I've driven through there twice now, and I drive through there just going, oh my God, I want this grass on my place. It's so lush and green, perfect for dairy farms. And they've lost one in 10 farms in Victoria in the last year, leading up to 2019. So Australia is losing family farms at an absolutely alarming rate. So our numbers have gone. Uh, this is back, like I said, this is old data, so it'll be worse again still. Uh, in 2011, we dropped from 157,000 farms to 87,000 farms, which is just horrendous that there's so few family farms out there and this is why our small farmers need to really bounce back and and kind of keep pushing through and go no we can do this we can you know bring farming back there is more than enough food for the world to be fed on uh, we just need people to be realistic about how we obtain that food and and you know be prepared to pay for the good quality food that's the important bit I'm more than more than happy to pay for good quality farmed food um, so if you're thinking about raw milk, I would strongly suggest you go do your homework. Um, in Australia, like I say, you cannot buy raw cow's milk, but you can buy raw goat's milk. And I would absolutely encourage you. I've got a link in, uh, in the show notes. There's links to the Australian Raw Milk Advocacy Group who, who talk about, you know, why we should be allowing raw milk. Uh, also in the um, United States and the UK, it's also the Raw Milk Institute for both of those. And I've got the links there. And courtesy of the Raw Milk Institute in America, we have a find a raw milk near you uh, map, which I thought was awesome. This is lovely big map and it shows exactly where you can purchase uh, raw milk from. So I'd strongly encourage you to go and have a look at that. Um, I'm, I was stoked to see that Australia actually had a couple of spots on the map. Even though it is goat's milk and not cow's milk, I really think we need to push the cow's milk thing as well. Um, and certainly my Millie next year will be producing her cow's milk and I'll be so happy that I'll have cow's milk as well as goat's milk. I can do so much more and make so many more cheeses and yogurts and things like that. It's going to be great. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. Uh, just a reminder to everybody that um, uh, if you haven't already got your free guide to keeping backyard chickens, pop along to www.mojohomestead.net forward slash seven must knows and you can get that. And I keep saying I'm going to do it and I haven't done it, but it's going to be done. Hopefully by the time this goes to air, I will also have a, um, a, a freebie that I'm giving away that's about 
backyard beekeeping. Um, so, and I think I, I think it might be www.mojohomestead.net forward slash bees 101. So B E E S 101. And that's a free guide to uh, beekeeping in your backyard, the kinds of things you need to know to, to be able to do it safely. Um, so definitely go along, check those out. And otherwise, uh, next week we are talking about what we were going to talk about this week, which is animal nutrition and what we feed our animals here on the farm. So I'd love you to listen into to that. Uh, and as always, if you want to touch base with me on social medias, I am on all the channels at both Mojo Homestead and also Not The Farmer's Wife. So you can find me at any of those. But otherwise, you guys have an amazing week and we will talk next week. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. If you did, I'd be so grateful if you left me a review. I would also absolutely love it if you tagged me in your next post on your favourite socials at either Not The Farmer's Wife or Mojo Homestead. And don't forget to get your free guide to backyard chicken keeping at www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows. And remember, grow the life you want to live. See ya. See ya.